The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. If you're experiencing life, and we know you are, you may have a variety of questions about relationships, family issues, personal goals, coping with the unexpected, and much more. Today, you will hear some answers from a psychological perspective, and you may just take away something that fits. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Welcome to Psych Up Live. I'm your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips, and on this show, we'll be turning up the psychological perspective on many life issues. As the former host of Psych Up on Casozo Radio, I joined with terrific guests to host 73 shows. This show's different because this show includes you in the conversation. This is Psych Up Live. I welcome you to listen in, send in comments or questions, or call us at one 866 472 5788. You know, most of us face some trauma in our lives. For some of us, it is the unspeakable loss of a family member. For others, it may be witnessing the anguish and depression of loved ones facing serious illness, assault, or the wounds of war. We wonder how we'll go on. We wonder how they go on. We wonder how to translate heartache into help and hope for others. In this show, we are privileged to hear the personal stories of four such people who made that kind of translation. Our first guest is Mary Fetchett. Mary is the founding director of the Voices of 9-11. Following the death of her son Brad on 9-11, she's a clinical social worker, and as such, she created a new paradigm in providing long-term support for victims' families, responders, and survivors. In In 2014, she launched the Center of Excellence for Community Resilience. Mary has made hundreds of appearances on national television, at conferences here and abroad, and contributes regularly to print and radio. She's been recognized with countless awards, including the ABC News Person of the Year in 2004. Our next guest will be Rogeline Velez Cipriano. Rogeline is the founder and CEO of Angels for Warriors. She's a lawyer, an adjunct professor at Malloy College, and she founded Angels for Warriors in 2012 after her brother, Sergeant Angel Velez, was severely injured in Afghanistan. Her goal is to provide guidance, advocacy, and pro bono services to veterans. Her efforts have been recognized by both state and local entities. She was named one of Huntington's People of the Year in 2013. Our next two guests are Bill and Bev Fagelman. Dr. William Fagelman is Emeritus Professor at Nassau Community College here in New York, where he taught for 50 years. He's author and co-author of seven books and 55 journal articles. 
Since 2002, after his son Jesse's suicide, Dr. Fagelman has focused his writings on youth suicide and suicide bereavement. Together with his wife, he's one of the co-authors of Devastating Losses, How Parents Cope with the Death of a Child to Suicide or Drugs. Beverly Fagelman is an adjunct professor of social work at Adelphi University. She's the former director of the Manhasset Community Daycare Center of Long Island Jewish Medical Center. She's a member of various suicide prevention organizations, including the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, the American Association of Suicide Allergy, and she's a co-facilitator of many survivor support groups. Both she and her husband, Bill, play a very active role in responding to survivors of suicide loss and raising consciousness and advocating for suicide prevention. Mary Fetchett, Rajaline Velez-Cipriano, Dr. Fagelman and Bev Fagelman, it's my pleasure to welcome you to Psych Up Live. Thank you, Suzanne. Thank okay. you. Our pleasure to be here. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, I'm very, I'm very excited to have you as a group because people wonder, how do you go on? Mary, I thought I'd start with you. Could you share for our listeners of just a glimpse of the heartache you faced on 9-11? Well, Suzanne, as you mentioned, uh, we lost our oldest son, Brad, on 9-11. He was 24, and he was on the 89th floor of the South Tower, which was the second building that was hit, but the first to collapse. Mm-hmm. And Brad was the oldest of our three sons. Uh, we, At the time, our son, Wes, was 20, and he was away at college. And then we had a, a son that was 13 in middle school, uh, lived course, living at home. Um, and at the time, I was a clinical social worker, and I worked in an outpatient mental health clinic um, uh, named Bridges uh, in Milford, Connecticut. Um, but oddly enough, I had an interest in working with victims of trauma because back in the 90s, I heard a mother speak that lost her daughter in the Oklahoma City bombing and actually did a lot of research on how they responded in Oklahoma City. And Mm. just oddly enough, I threw all the um, research papers out the Friday before 9-11 thinking, you know, as much as I'd like to work with victims of traumatic event, it's not going to happen here in Connecticut. Mm. And so how did you hear or realize that you had lost your oldest son? That day. Well, there was a lot of uncertainty, uh, Suzanne. Uh, on 9-11, my son called my husband at work. Frank worked at IBM at the time and told him that he was, you know, safe, that the building one had been hit, and it had been frightening to him because he had seen somebody fall from the 90th floor, you know, and he cleared his voice and said, all the way down. Um, and so... Um, he just wanted to make sure that Frank knew that he was okay. And then he left me a similar message at home. I happened to be at the office at the time. And then uh, shortly after that call was when the second tower was hit. And uh, as I walked into another building, um, once I received a call from my husband, Frank, I walked into an adjoining building because I knew they had a TV there. And as I walked in, I saw the plane hit the tower that Brad was in. But there was a lot of uncertainty. You know, so many of Mm. these people were very athletic. Brad was, you know, played hockey and lacrosse. Mm. You know, uh, uh, 
And so I was trying to uh, figure out uh, if he had left, would he mm-hmm. be, in fact, below the, the flight line of the plane um, mm-hmm. crashing into the building. And so there was a lot of uncertainty uh, immediately mm-hmm. after uh, that went on for quite some time because, I of see. course, they weren't finding bodies there. Mm. Um, and Lower Manhattan was completely devastated. So, Mary, I know that every listener out there is wondering, how do you go on after something like this? What did you reach for that allowed you and your husband to go on? But even I'll say, as a mother, how did you go on? Well, I was very fortunate to have incredible support from uh, my family, friends, and the community. I think we had, we calculated thousands of people uh, come through our home in the weeks following 9-11, in most cases um, carrying food and and gifts. and, And I think people just wanted to be together. They didn't know where they could gather other than our home. Um, because there was so so much uncertainty in our country after 9-11. But as a mother, um, you know, I didn't really know much about terrorism. I think, like most Americans, we thought, you know, that could never possibly happen in our country. It's something that happens over there, you know, in other countries. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it was a wake-up call for me, and so I felt that I wanted to ensure my my family was safe and that no other mother suffered the loss that I had suffered. Uh, I wanted to make sure that another innocent citizen didn't die in the manner that Brad and the 2,976 others died. And then as a social worker, I was compelled to do what I could to support the other family members. Uh, As I said, I had um, a unique perspective uh, prior to 9-11, and, and so that's really why uh, we move forward, um, certainly first reaching out to the families in Connecticut. We had weekly meetings in my home, but then as we started going into New York and Washington, D.C., um, it was really important for us to start an organization, uh, that a nonprofit organization that we could uh, hire staff um, to provide the support services, and, and we've um, calculated we've provided over 100,000 hours of support services. Um, I became very involved with other family members that uh, I think really um, provided great insight uh, into what we wanted the memorial to be, and I wanted to make sure that the victims were remembered in a meaningful way. And so our organization met with over 1,500 families, and we've collected 70,000 photographs that we have on our website that we've also shared with the museum. And then we did a lot of advocacy work. I worked with uh, about 11 other family members to push for the 9-11 Commission to be Mm -hmm. established. And you see, uh, after many of these uh, horrific tragedies, the families often play an important role in trying to make a difference, uh, both to prevent it from happening again and supporting the people that have been impacted. I, I want our listeners to know, we're going to stop there for a minute, to say um, 
If you go on the Voices for 9-11 website, it is remarkable, as is the memorial. Um, Mary, is it the sixth most visited site in the, in the world now, the um, 9-11 Memorial Museum? Yeah, it's really gotten up there, and a lot of uh, international vi- visitors coming in, um, as other people coming into New York. Mm. I think it's, um, you know, at the top of the list and, mm. and places that people visit. Okay. Um, Mary, thanks. We're going to come back and speak a little bit more, but you can see with with you, Mary, that, you know, we talk about people healing in community, gathering your home from the first days, waiting, wondering to the reach you've had after the Boston Marathon, the Connecticut school shooting. I mean, it's it's really been an amazing um, outreach job that you've done and continue to do. Um, thank you. Now, Rajaline, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about the heartache you faced. Sure. Um, well, first I want to say, Mary, I'm sorry for your loss, but you've really turned it into something really beautiful, and it's inspirational. Um, my brother was deployed shortly after 9-11. We all kind of weren't expecting it, but uh, he was a proud career um, Army sergeant and was willing to go. Um, he did two tours, one in Iraq, where he was the personal bodyguard of the president that was put in place after Saddam Hussein was taken down. He came home about a year and a half later and about four months later was redeployed to Afghanistan where he was the sergeant to a unit. While on a mission in Afghanistan, um, as most of you hear, there was an IED that exploded. Um, He was in a convoy. The first Humvee exploded and everyone in that Humvee was killed and uh, his Humvee, his, his Humvee, although uh, it didn't explode, did receive the shrapnels and the aftershock and several of his men were killed. He was flown to Germany to a U.S. hospital where he received immediately medical care and within a day was flown to Washington, D.C., where he... Um, experienced his first series of operations at the military hospital there. Um, Throughout this entire time, I had been notified and I was praying, and um, he made it through his first two surgeries, and then he was transferred to New York, to West Point, where he um, received several other surgeries. Um, In total, he underwent 12 separate surgeries, He was in a wheelchair. He had completely lost use of his right side, right side of his body, and um, was hospitalized for over two and a half years. During that time as an attorney, I had to fight the military uh, to get my brother the services that he had fought for, the services that he'd earned through his service. from medical care to medication to trying to get him into the appropriate hospitals that would help him recover um, to finally getting him into a rehab facility that would 
at the very least, help him to ambulate again. Um, and it was because of my experience in, in reading all the documentation and trying to get him his medical care and reading the agreements that these soldiers sign without actually reading the documentation mm-hmm. um, that I was able to actually get him the care that he needed and I'm very happy to say that although my brother does ambulate with a cane and has no use of his right side, right side of his body, and uh, does speak with a severe speech impediment, he is still with us, and um, he is one of the fortunate few that actually survive or actually can ambulate. Now, um, Rajaline, we're talking with Rajaline Cipriano. Rajaline, so as an attorney, as a sister, what did you draw upon that made you decide, I have to somehow work in this area or or help other veterans? Well, first and foremost, um, we are very fortunate in this country in that our military is 100% volunteer military. We don't have to. I have a 15-year-old. We don't have to worry that our children are going to be drafted. We have extremely brave men and women who volunteer to protect this country. And um, that was the one thing that I thought about. My brother volunteered to do this. Um, I knew growing up that he was brave. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was my protector as a child. He's my mm-hmm. older brother. Um, the second thing I drew upon was the fact that my mom was deceased, and I knew that she would want me to take care of my brother. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful. Uh, she- you know we're gonna have to right, we're gonna have to take a break, but um, you've been listening to Psych Up Live with Dr. Suzanne Phillips. We're talking with we've just been speaking to Mary Fetchett and Rogeline Cipriano about how you translate heartache into help and hope. We'll come back. We're going to learn a little bit more about Angels for Warriors. Stay with us. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You count. Tune into Interrevolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Beth Green and James Maynard, Interrevolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to the Hospitality News Network for a look inside the travel, hotel, restaurant, and hospitality industry. 
Host Stephen Nicole and his guests will teach you everything you've wanted to know about this fascinating industry. Who knows? You might just want to change your own career path. At the very least, you might end up being a preferred customer. The Hospitality News Network is broadcast live every Monday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're here talking about translating heartache into help and hope. And we were just talking to Rogeline Velay Cipriano, the founder of Angels for Warriors. Um, and she speak, you were speaking about your brother, Angel. And Rogeline, so my question is, as you work to help him, what made you decide the direction to move in to help others? So as I as I worked to help him, I I actually waited until um, he was on his way to recovery, and I knew that he was going to make it before I made any moves. Then I decided I am sure that I am not the only family member of a warrior who has gone through what I've been through. I know that there are other warriors out there, and some of whom are not as fortunate as my brother to have a an attorney as a sister. And so I said, I am going to take my savings and I am going to open up this little office where I will provide information and resources to veterans uh, to help them move forward. Mm -hmm. And as life has it, it started out that way, but today we currently are providing pro bono legal assistance to veterans, and um, we are representing veterans in court, veterans who would not otherwise have the ability to pay for an attorney, because although people think that veterans make a significant amount of money as retirees, (laughs) they really do not. (laughs) All right. Well, um, thank you so much, and we'll come back. I want us to have time, so I want to move on. Uh, Dr. Bill Fagelman um, I wonder if you could give our listeners a glimpse of the impact you felt with the loss of your son, Jesse. Uh, first, uh, Suzanne, I want to thank you for having this show. It's an excellent uh, topic and very important to think about what uh, one does in, in terms of uh, the worst uh tragedy that one can mm-hmm. imagine happening to oneself and how do you recover from it and uh, of course everybody is different and what may work for me or my wife and for Mary and for Roger Lynn may not work for other people but uh, we have our own uh, particular tack uh, that we took when we uh, uh, arrived in treacherous seas that you know, we thought were going to overpower us and uh, sink us, um, and 
you know, uh, my heart goes out to Mary in the loss of her son. I know what it's like. Uh, Bev and I, you know, had that loss. And Roger Lynn, uh, you know, going through her brother's surgeries and being there for him was, uh, you know, an agonizing uh, challenge. And uh, um, I, I have to say that our loss uh, stands in stark contrast to these kinds of situations because our son died uh, 13 years ago in the prime of his life, but so it seemed to us uh, with great uh, um, ambition and uh, future ahead of him in the field of filmmaking, and uh, he suddenly uh, and unexpectedly took his life. And uh, it's something that is, you know, in society seen as a, a very shameful uh, kind of death, something you can't uh, readily talk about. And, uh, uh, you know, we had a, a sense of that when it happened. Uh, although, you know, for us, it, 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 we weren't uh, ashamed of Jesse's death. The world outside of us was, and we mm. had to deal with that. But... Uh, for us, it seemed like he had cancer the way uh, a person might have had cancer 40 or 50 years ago. And when somebody has cancer and dies of cancer, we don't talk about it because we're afraid it's contagious and that it will you know, um, afflict us. So you know, we, we, uh, we, however, didn't feel that way. But uh, it wasn't like immediately we felt, oh, we're going to fight this uh, uh, stigma about suicide and uh, get on our charging horses and go forward, we, we were floored. It was the most, and the title of our book uh, that we eventually wrote was called Devastating Losses, which really mm, uh, aptly expressed mm. how we felt at the time. Mm. And uh, we were immobilized. Uh, we felt we wanted to die. Uh, you know, both of us felt, you know, extremely sad and morose. And uh, it was on seeing the impact and feeling the impact of uh, a suicide loss on us uh, that uh, led us and seeing how if we did die, our uh, remaining family members would be in a deeper ditch uh, than we were in. So mm -hmm. that gave us our resolve to say uh, we're not going to uh, let this depression and despondency uh, overcome us. So, mm. you know, that led us forward. And uh, I'm going to put uh, Bev on now to Great. take it from there. Okay, okay wonderful. Okay. Thanks, Bill. Okay. Mm, well, I'm, you know, a clinical social worker and um, have had experiences treating people with depression and with suicidal ideation, suicide attempt, but to have this happen in my own personal world was, um, uh, you know, just, uh, I didn't know how, how to face this. Uh, my feeling a failure as a mother that I hadn't protected and kept my son safe, my feeling that I had failed as a clinician, not reading the signs and paying attention to what might have or could have or should have been done, et cetera. And uh, so that was, that was very hard. And um, uh, as, a, as a clinical social worker and a group worker, my first uh, instinct is, 
when something bad happens, find help, go to other people that can help you. And I'm mm-hmm. a, a group worker, and I, I just said, I have to find, there must be some, some other people who know this and have been through this. And fortunately, we were able to connect with a support group that was meeting once a month, and um, the family came together to come to that meeting. All of us, we were uh, eight of us walking into that room together, huddled together. We were just in, in a state of shock, mm. and, um, but there was comfort. There was peace. Mm. People spoke the language. Um, they, they were able to tell us that life can go on for us. And um, we were shocked that first day because we heard people, it was an August meeting, and people were talking with each other. They were friends from the group, uh, talking about vacations that they had taken or that they were planning to take. And we looked at each other. We said, are they kidding? Is, you know, does, is that possible that, mm, that, right. that there is a life that you could, you know, smile again and, and go out to dinner again and celebrate a birthday again. It was, it was, you know, unreal to us that this could happen. But, you know, it's 13 years now, and um, we, we do go forward. And one of the things that has helped us was that support group and finding the help that we received and seeing that we could make a difference to help other people, and that was not only healing for us, but um, we, we could help people take those same baby steps uh, toward figuring out how they could um, go forward with their lives, and that's what we do now. You know, um, it's, it's interesting, Bev, Bill, um, every one of you, you know, Mary, uh, Voices of September 11, Rogeline, Angels for Warriors, each of you, in your way, experienced something that helped. Uh, Mary gathered with other survivors and went on to translate that into help for survivors. You know, Rosalie saw what happened when someone advocated for one of our wounded veterans and went on to figure a way to pass that along. And we know that it is so painful because the rest of the world often is not embracing the survivors, the family survivors of a suicide loss, much less the parents who are so devastated, as you said. But I could picture, and I'm hoping listeners can can glean into this a bit, that to sit there and know that they were having vacations or planning meant, I mean, we say the definition of hope is options in the future. And as you say, Bev, to go from how could this happen to oh my God, there might be a life after, to them wanting to pass on this kind of group to others, that's really very, very crucial. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and this, is what, this is what people tell us. We, we started our own support group um, several years. We're going into our ninth year of, of running a, a monthly group, and people, uh, they say it, it's, it's been their lifeline in, in, in the beginning. Some people come monthly. Some people come uh, for several years. Some people come back when there's an anniversary or a special event. They come back to the group, and they, they, they tell us, we're here because it feels like coming home, and we're going through something right now. 
Um, and we just needed to touch base to visit home again to make certain we're okay. And that's a beautiful thing. That's the power of, of the support that people get from each other uh, to understand um, how to um, go forward. Some people become very active in advocacy work and support groups themselves, but some people, you know, just um, uh, learn in the, in the groups um, how to cope on a personal level, mm-hmm. how to deal with stigma, how to, how to get their family and friends and relatives to be okay to ask them questions and mention their loved one's name without the sense of, um, uh, what am I going to be doing if I mention Jesse's name? I have a little calendar, and, and you know, one of the sayings on the calendar is, um, mention my loved one's name, I may cry. Don't mention his name, and you'll break my heart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, we tell people that because they need to educate others that they're okay and they want their loved ones remembered, and they need... Um, uh, to go out there and, and uh, take the shame away from uh, stigma and do what they can to promote uh, help and mental health services and, and uh, support for survivors as well as uh, all the kinds of prevention services that need you know, to be out there and available. Mm. You yeah. know, what, what, one of the things you're pointing out, and I want to ask Mary and uh, Rogeline uh, and even Bill this, it almost, in some ways, we're implying that you're not only provided with your foundations and the book, Bill, and I know the groups you run, Bev, um, help and hope to others. But Mary, has your work given you help and hope? Rogeline, has it done that for you? Well, I think it gives you uh, new meaning in your and direction in your life. And, you know, and some people, in some ways, that's a, a gift uh, because some people are searching for that their whole life. And, and I think it's all about giving back. But what we're seeing with people that we're working with, you know, it's well beyond the families, 9-11. It's the responders who, that, who are so sick and dying. And, of course, the survi- uh, survivors, there's probably about 500,000 that were in New York that day or lost close friends. So what we find is people are grieving, uh, grieve differently and in their own time. So we're often hearing from people for the first time, uh-huh. almost 15 years later. Wow. And by understanding the process that they've gone through, you have that immediate bond and connection that's so important when somebody's gone through uh, you know, a life-changing event. It's so, let's underline that point for listeners, that often there is a delay in being able to come forward. And I think, uh, you know, when they say when the smoke clears and the media goes home two weeks, six months later, that's when survivors of all aspects of an event or personal tragedy, it's when the relatives go home, the neighbors go home. That's when people really often need help. And I think it's striking we're almost 15 years later and you're there. Your services are there, much like some of these veterans, you know, it's much later when they're going to be needing the help that Angels for Warriors can give. That's exactly right. That's exactly what I've experienced. Um, A lot of our warriors come home and there's people greeting them at the airports and, 
you know, uh, family members and everybody wants to take them out for dinner and so happy you're back. And within a couple of weeks, they've fallen into a depression. They don't know which way to go, where to turn. And I'm so proud of our organization that we are there and we, we can show them by giving them their own personal roadmap, okay, first this is what you do, first register at the VA, then do the, and, and, and we follow up with them. And the fact that I have personally gone through this experience, that I went through it with my brother, that I experience it on a daily basis with my brother, his PTSD, his pain that never goes away, driving him to and from his appointment. Uh, the warriors look at me and say, you know what we're going through. Mm. We can really relate to you. You're not just some random person that decided one day I'm going to open up, you know, a nonprofit. You actually know what we're going through and you understand us. And that, to me, has been the most rewarding aspect of this, just knowing that what I'm doing is pure-hearted, and I know that my warriors know it's pure-hearted, and I'm here for them. Mm, that's that's amazingly beautiful. Um, we're going to take a brief break, and then we'll come right back. Stay with us. We're going to be talking to Mary Fetchett of Voices of September 11, Rogeline Cipriano, Angels for Warriors, Bev and Bill Fegerman, the authors of Devastating Losses, The Loss of a Child to Suicide or Drug Overdose. We'll be right back. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. No matter what your current situation is, you have a unique story to your life. It's a dynamically changing story that requires constant adjustments to lifestyle and environment. That includes your home. As you continue to enhance your living space, you are also making overall improvements to increase the value of your home. Join Laura Minniff each Tuesday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time for dynamic insights for your home environment on the Voice America Variety Channel. And start living now. Do you want to expand the legacy that you leave behind? Get the inspiration you need by hearing from others who are doing just that. Listen for Your Why with host Nelina Varinas. The show features amazing guests who have saved lives, helped others, and brought forth hope to others around them. By hearing their stories, you can make some stories of your own. Your Why can be heard every Friday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts. We'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're speaking with Mary Fetchett of Voices of September 11. Rogeline Cipriano of Angels for Warriors, and Bill and Bev Fegelman, the authors of Devastating Losses and Advocates for Suicide Prevention. I'm, I'm so delighted that all of you are, are part of this um, dialogue today. So one question I had, and maybe listeners have, is in your journey from the heartache, the loss of um, of the children, the fighting for a very wounded veteran, in this journey from the beginning to where you are now, was there something that really surprised you along the way? Or was there something that really changed who you were? Do uh, you want me to start with that? Sure, sure, Bill. Okay, well, you know, one of the things that happens with suicide very unexpectedly is your social world shrinks. I'm a sociologist, and uh, it was, you know... Um, painfully apparent to me that some of the people who I used to be friendly with were mm. avoiding uh, me, and I, I found out who my true friends were. And, okay. Uh, mm. uh, you know, there, there were, you know, a lot of people who I expected to be compassionate, empathic, and uh, they just weren't. They just disappeared. I, mean, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say this was... Uh, the normative response, but uh, you know, some people who were uh, somewhat important in my life, I expected them to be there at this most uh, worst moment uh, in our experience, and they just weren't. So it, uh, it kind of rattled me. Uh, but on the uh, upside, I have to say that our experience in being involved in the suicide bereavement community, in forming a group in having our support group run almost nine years, in uh, going to conferences ever since uh, the first year of our son's death and uh, national, international conferences, going um, to Australia and Japan and different places where we were keynote speakers or make, make, giving presentations or what have you, uh, we met uh, an enormous... Uh, uh, new group of friends, and some of my best friends now are other bereaved uh, people, uh, some of whom are uh, uh, co-researchers, some of whom are um, uh, uh, running support groups, bereaved like uh, ourselves, and uh, they're just uh, a whole bunch of nice people nice. Uh, we've met along the way uh, that we never would have known before had it not been for our loss. Terrific. So it, it opened up a whole new window for us. Thank you. Yeah. How about anybody else? Well, this is Mary, and I, I, I want to reinforce that message. You know, certainly uh, 9-11 might have been a little different, but I can say it's just been heartwarming, the number of 
uh, perfect strangers that have come forward and, and offered their time and, and their talents and their financial support uh, to help sustain the organization, and they, and they see it as very important, particularly as we're, we're working with other communities. I mean, there's, you can't pick up the newspaper or watch the news without another horrible event, which mm-hmm. is another group of victims' families. Uh, I think the thing that I was surprised about um, is that people think that um, victims' families get over the loss um, in, in a short period of time. And you'll always have that hole in your heart. And as we talked about, people come forward you know, in their own time, and it might be 15 years later. So we really had to create a new paradigm in providing continuity of care, understanding all the challenges that these um, families face, and being available uh, in the long term. Um, uh, One other thing as far as the advocacy and the public policy reform, you know, it was amazing to me a social worker could learn about intelligence reform. (laughs) And um, (laughs) so the learning curve as you're sort of thrust into this new world um, it's amazing to me um, the the things that you can learn about and play an important role in making changes. And it made me proud, truthfully, to live in uh, the U.S. to be able to be part of an effort to pass sweeping intelligence reform that wouldn't have happened in other countries. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. And, Rogeline, what would you say? Um, what I would say is I, I'm surprised at the person that I've become. Um, having a sibling, uh, if any of you have siblings, you would know, no one knows your story better than mm. your own sibling. Your sibling knows your, the, the home you grew up in, his or her picture might be somewhat skewed, but um, they know where the presents were hidden at Christmas time, and they know <laughs> what, you know, Prince Spaghetti Day was at your home, et cetera, et cetera. And the thought of losing the one person who knew my story was very upsetting to me. And where I got the strength to fight for him, I have no idea where it came from. <laughs> but I do thank God that I had that strength. Um, I... Look at my brother every day, and and I see a glimmer of the person that he used to be. He was a strong, um, tough guy, and now I still see a glimmer of him, and I've gotten to live a life where um, it's a new normal. He's still Mm -hmm. a tough guy in his own way, although he doesn't look physically as that same person, Um, and, and his PTSD has changed him somewhat, but I still look in his eyes and I still see that person. And um, learning to live this new normal is is very surprising to me. Wow! Um, wow. How I've that, accepted that. That's one. That's so well said and beautifully said. Um, Bev, I wanted to give you a, a minute. Okay. How about you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Susanna, you know, I I really can just. Uh, Ditto what other people have said. I think one of the um, parts of, of this journey for us has been uh, learning about um, the, the term post-traumatic growth and what that looks like and how 
people in their own way are able to demonstrate resiliency that they might never have thought they had within mm-hmm. them right. and, and, and um, shock themselves and are surprised that they're able to do certain things, even, mm-hmm. if, it's, even if it's being there to, to offer, uh, uh, whether it's public speaking or whether it's just, you know, to show up at the annual walk for survivors uh, in your community and, and be very proud that you are uh, there and not ashamed in that you're, you know, uh, hoping that there's visibility about removing the stigma about suicide. So that's, that's a wonderful thing to see people move from being ashamed and not wanting anyone to know this story to uh, being out there in a public park and possibly um, uh, taking part in other kinds of events and using using your your experience to 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 help and to be uh, having a meaning to this this you know this um, bad experience horrible experience but turning it around some way and and being able to say you know Jesse you're not here with us but you'd be proud of all the things we're doing now and that uh, your name is out there. Whenever we do a speaking engagement, we're, we're telling them about you. And uh, Bill, Bill wears a pair of red, bright red sneakers that Jesse had, you know, in his wardrobe from somewhere. <laughs> and uh-huh. he, Bill is very conservative, but when we do speaking <laughs> engagements, he wears those red sneakers and he sticks his foot up in the air to show everybody these are Jesse's sneakers, you know. Um, uh, he's not with us, but he's with us and um, uh, his memory is with us and we, 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 we honor his memories and we, we don't just remember the end. We remember all the years and all the wonderful things that we, we had with him and we hope that other people are able to do that, to keep connections to our loved ones, um, even though yeah. they may not be with us physically or that they've changed physically. You know, for those of us right. that are, have our loved ones still in our lives, um, uh, being grateful and, and a sense of gratitude for what we do have rather mm-hmm. than what's missing. Right. And that's just what Rajaline was talking about, the glimmer in yeah. her brother's eye. Um, and and just to uh, back up the um, suicide prevention work, people should mm-hmm. know ten thousand ten thousand survivors all over the world were on were gathered on survivors of suicide loss day, and um, and thousands walked for the out of darkness walk, um, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So uh, we want to just say the suicide prevention helpline, by the way, is one eight hundred two seven three eight two five five. Just bringing us back now, I know that our listeners are going to want to uh, read Devastating Losses, which is a very powerful and important um, book, which which both is um, personal experience research, um, very, very well done, and also to donate to these foundations, Voices for September 11, um, Angels for Warriors, to, to go on your sites, maybe make use of your services. Let me just go down the names. Mary, how would people reach and learn more about and even be helped by Voices for September 11? Uh, well, they can certainly visit our website, and it's voicesofseptember11.org. Uh, they can contact our office either. Well, I'll give you the Connecticut number. We have an office in New Jersey as well. That's 203-966-3911. 
Great. That's terrific. Um, Rajaline, how could veterans or their family members find Angels for Warriors and possibly be helped by your foundation? Okay. Well, we do provide services for family members as well as veterans. Um, you can reach us at our website, Angels for Warriors, F-O-R, warriors.org, or you can call us at our office, uh, which is located in Huntington, New York, 631-651-5471, 631-651-5471. If you're a veteran, we do have an application online that you can fill out. It just basically asks pedigree questions and what your primary issue is and what type of service you are looking for. We do provide pro bono legal assistance as well as low bono legal assistance depending on the types of cases um, that you as a veteran might have. Um, now, again, now Rajali, warriors. Mm-hmm. if I'm from another state and I've never heard of anything like this in Michigan or wherever I happen to be, can I and should I contact you as a uh, point guard for maybe heading me in another direction? Absolutely. Um, I'm in touch with several bar associations throughout the country, and I can put a veteran in touch uh, with uh, an attorney from any number of bar associations throughout the country. Great. Um, mm -hmm. Great. Um, And Bill and Bev, how can they order, how can our listeners order Devastating Losses, your book, and or what? Okay, well, Devastating Losses is published by Springer, uh, and they have a website, uh, springerpub.com. I would suggest people getting it from their local library. It's kind of overpriced. and mm-hmm. uh, uh, But uh, if you ask your local library for it, uh, Devastating Losses, uh, published by Springer, uh, they will probably get it for you. And, okay. Uh, and the other thing is we have our support group, uh, L-I-S-O-S dot O-R-G, W-W-W-L-I-S-O-S dot O-R-G. Anybody on Long Island seeking uh, suicide bereavement support, uh, we'd be glad to have you uh, come to our group. Uh, and the phone number uh, is, I'll, I'll give it, 718 718- Three eight zero eight two zero five seven one eight three eight zero eight two zero five, and they can also uh, contact uh, us by email. Uh, uh, my name William Fiegelman, F as in Frank, E I G E L M A N at ncc dot edu. Okay, in the interest of time, Bev, I wanted people to know the other sources, American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, um, and I think just contacting the Fiegelmans will be a source of other resources for you. We're always available to help people uh, throughout the country. Emails come to us, and we can always find support groups and therapists that are uh, experienced in bereavement work. So we are happy to do that for people. Okay, I want to thank all of you for the the gift of hope and help that you've offered all our listeners today. Um, I, I appreciate you coming on the show. 
And I, I want to remind our listeners that um, to keep on listening, next week our Christmas show will be Canine Companions, A Gift of Independence. You can hear that in any prior show on my host site, on my website, Couples After Trauma, and on iTunes under Psych Up Live. Remember to drop me a comment or question at radiohostphillips at gmail.com. And mostly until next week, please take care. Thanks, and be listening. That's Suzanne Phillips from Psych Up Live. Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk more next week. 